Redwood Church. Um, Max, can we mute this uh, this podium mic real quick? Thank you. Uh, I'm glad to be with you together uh, this morning, church. I kind of already mentioned that we're going to be starting a new series this morning, um, but I, I can't help myself. Like, I have to try to... I, I don't have a ton of confidence that I can say everything I need to say in one setting. And so I tend to try to string ideas along across a couple weeks. So last week we talked about uh, the fact that Jesus raised from the dead. Like that's, that's the whole point of Easter. Spoiler alert if you didn't know. Um, if Jesus wasn't raised, then we wouldn't celebrate Easter at all. Um, and so that is a statement that if you're familiar with church, you've been around for a long time, that's probably a pretty comfortable statement for you, but it really is an incredible statement. Like when I say that Jesus was raised from the dead, what I mean is that we believe as a church, as a neighborhood church, that Jesus died a physical death and that he was bodily, his body was resurrected to life again. He was dead, legally dead, and came back to life. And that that resurrection actually uh, sets the course of the trajectory for our whole lives. Um, that's why uh, we as a church like to say that we put Jesus first. Um, and if the resurrection isn't true, then we're literally all wasting our, our, our time. So if you want me to go home, uh, and if you want the church to shut down, just demonstrate to me that the resurrection didn't happen, and I'll pack it in. Because I got, I got nothing else to live off of if that's not true. So, um, in fact, the scriptures will say... Uh, that if the resurrection did not happen, that Christians are the most pitiful people on the planet. Like, we really are wasting our time. But we as a church do believe that Jesus bodily resurrected from the dead, and he's our only hope for life. And so if we're, we're, that's kind of like the ending. So if you're skeptical about Jesus, you're not really, really sure. Like, I wanted to lead with the, like, the big thing that you really need to wrap your head around, wrap your heart around. Um, but if, if, if that actually did happen, if he really did raise himself from the dead as a demonstration of his power to forgive our sins and to make us right with God, then what he said should actually have some weight to it. What, the guy who predicted his death, he said, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem in a couple of months and things are going to get kind of heated and the Sadducees and the leaders of the people are going to get mad at me and they're going to be so mad that they're going to kill me. But... After three days of being dead, I'm going to be alive again. So um, that's just what's going to happen in a couple of months. So for the guy who predicted his own death, and then it happened the way he said it was going to happen, and then he came back from the dead, uh, what, what other things did he say? Ought we to give some attention to what this man preached? what this man taught. And so what I'd like for us to do over the next couple of weeks, um, and we're actually going to bounce back and forth over the next couple of months, but over the next couple of weeks in particular, um, I'd like for us to turn together to Matthew chapter 5, um, and, this is, uh, and, and begin to look at something that Jesus taught. In fact, this is probably the longest sermon that we have recorded um, in the scriptures of the sayings that Jesus said. It begins in Matthew chapter 5, but it covers Matthew chapter 5, 6, and chapter 7. So if you turn to Matthew chapter 5, it's on page 1010, uh, 1010 in the blue Bibles here. Um, page 1010, Matthew chapter 5, and I'd really like to, uh, to look at this together. But as we do, um, let's ask for God to help us. Let's ask for God to give us understanding, give us what we need for the day. Um, and so if you would bow your hearts together with me, you can, you can pray out loud if you'd like to, but would you at least bow your hearts together and let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, uh, page 1010. 1010. <clears throat> Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, um, that's the beginning, that's the introduction to this sermon that is going to cover uh, three sections. And um, if you've been around church a while, you might have heard this section called the Beatitudes, just related to the Latin version of the Greek translation of the blah, 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 blah. It's just a fancy word for this section of blessings. So, and you notice, like, it does, like I'm not real smart, but I did notice that he said blessed a lot. Like, he's talking about the blessed life. What does the good life look like? And as he describes the good life, he says, the good life looks like being poor, and it looks like weeping and crying, and, and, and it looks like being hungry all the time, and it looks like being kind to people who are abusing you, and it looks like be keeping yourself pure in the midst of a, of, of a dark world, and it looks like advocating for peace instead of fighting for your rights. Like, that's what the good life looks like. Isn't that utterly ridiculous? What, what do you mean it is it's good? The good life is when I'm crying? The good life is when I'm sad. The good life is when my loved ones are taken away from me and I'm, and I'm weeping and I'm mourning. The good life is when I'm poor. The good life is when I don't have enough money to make ends meet and I'm, and I'm struggling to try to get by and, and like I'm, I, gotta, I owe these people money and I owe those people money and I'm borrowing money from those people to pay off those people and I'm just trying to figure this out. Like that's, that's the good life? I got bill collectors like ringing my phone off the hook. I got to change my number. Like that's, that's the good life? The good life is like being at peace when all the world's at war. Have you seen what, what, what Putin's doing in Ukraine? Like that's, this is the good life? This is ridiculous. What is this guy talking about? Has he, has he lost his marbles? That doesn't look anything like the life that I thought. Like, the, what, what is it that we would say is like the good life? Uh, the good life is a hammock and, and, and a fruity drink. The good life is a beach in the waves. Hallelujah. The good life is, is, is the kids all taking a nap at the same time. 
the good life is enough money in the bank and some extra to put into that, that, that nice toy that I've been looking at for a couple of weeks that my neighbor down the road had. Like, that's the good life. The good life is not actually, like, being worried about, about like, where my, where my stuff is going to come from. The good life is having my bills paid off. The good life is good health. Good life is, is strength and being able to, like, have the strength to accomplish all of the tasks that I feel like I need to accomplish. The good life is people lining up the door at, at, the, at the, lining up at the door of my business asking to give me their money. Like, that's the good life, right? In fact, in fact, like, this is not, this is not so far off. Like, Jesus actually wasn't the, the first person to use this model of introduction in a sermon. Like, if there are other rabbis, there are other teachers who, who would even use this same kind of saying. And, and in fact, there was one, uh, his name uh, was Ben Sirah, and he wrote uh, about 200 years-ish before Jesus was around. And he also wrote some beatitudes. He also wrote some blessings. And these sound more like the good life to me. He's, he writes, I, I can think of nine, nine people whom I would call blessed, and a tenth my tongue proclaims. A man who can rejoice in his children. Like, having kids and being able to enjoy them, like, that's the good life. I think of all those who are barren, who are weeping and mourning because they cannot have children. Like, yeah, that's the good life, to have kids. Like, that would satisfy me. That's the good life. A man who, who, gets to, who lives to see the downfall of his foes. All right, Ben Sirah, I get that. Happy is the man who lives with a sensible wife. And I'll say conversely, happy is the woman who lives with a sensible husband and one who does not plow with ox and ass together. So somebody who's not like trying to rig something up to make it work. He just has enough money to buy two ox. You know what I'm saying? Happy is the one who does not sin with his tongue. That might be, that might be his reference to the sensible husband. I don't know. I don't know. Happy is the one who does not sin with his tongue. The one who has not served an inferior. The one whose boss is not dumber than them. Uh, there's no middle management in here, so I'll just you know, keep going. Uh, happy is the one who finds a friend, a companion. Happy is one who speaks to attentive listeners. I'm happy this morning. You guys are all awake. I haven't bored you to sleep yet, so we're doing good. Happy is the one who speaks to attentive listeners. How great is the one who finds wisdom, who knows what to do when problems arise. But none is superior to the one that fears the Lord. Like, that's 200 years before Jesus was, was, was walking on the earth and he was teaching. So this is, like, this format of structure of, like, giving blessings is not unique to Jesus, but he fills it with, with craziness. Utter nonsense. Maybe, okay, okay, okay. I don't want to write him off. Maybe the context will help us some. Maybe if we look at like, okay, we're jumping in chapter five here. Maybe something happened in, verse, in chapters one through four that gives us a little bit of, a little bit of key. So, so chapters one and two, uh, that talks about the Christmas story, which there's some incredible stuff in there too. We'll just skip over that. Chapter three is John the baptizer talking about his ministry. And so this was Jesus' cousin who came and said, I'm preparing the way for somebody who's going to come. And Jesus was the one who came. Okay, that, that doesn't mean so much. Uh, so in, in chapter four, that opens up with a temptation where Jesus goes toe to toe with the tempter, with the devil out in the desert. And he, and he goes toe to toe with him and, and, and he walks away uh, kind of victorious. Angels are ministering to him in the desert, which sounds really, really cool. But then he, then he moves, he changes locations. He, he grows up in, or he's staying in Nazareth, but then he moves to a city on the lake 
uh, called Capernaum. And that's where he's going to be like his home base for the rest of his ministry. He's going to be working out of Capernaum, which is like a lakeside city. It's a blue-collar town. There's a bunch of fishermen around there. Um, and it's, it's a, a really beautiful area, by the way. Um, but that's, that's where he's at. So he moves and, starts, and he starts preaching. And as he's preaching, he's saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I don't, I don't know what that means. Like, let's, let's keep going. And, and then he begins to call disciples. So he calls some of these blue-collar guys that are around Capernaum. And he says, hey, I want to teach you. I want to be a rabbi. Why don't you guys follow me? And then they do. So he's, he's building a school. He's getting some followers. And he's preaching. And as he's preaching, look at what's, ha- look, look at what's happening. Um, I think Matthew's given us, like, a summary statement of everything that's kind of going on here. So if you look with me in Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse 23. So this is kind of a summary statement of what we're getting ready to look at. And he went throughout all Galilee, his new hometown, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Um, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying. Okay, so in, in the context... He's not only preaching, but he's also healing. And he's healing every kind of illness. He's not just healing, like, mental illness. He's also healing, like, physical illness. And he's not just, like, making people feel better about themselves by his preaching. Like, he's actually changing the quality of their life. People who were uh, oppressed by demons are now delivered from demons. And, 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 and we, don't, we might not be able to picture it, but, like, people are coming from miles around. This is before Twitter. Like, this is before an email could even be sent. Like, we don't think twice about sending an email over to the Philippines. And they'll read it a second ago, right? Like, that's how connected. Like, this is before all that. And he's got people, like, if he set up shop in the forest, like, not in Ocala proper, but in the forest. He had people coming from downtown Ocala out to the forest to hear him preach. And not only that, he had people coming from Gainesville. He had people coming from Orlando. He had people coming down from Jacksonville all to hear this guy in the forest preaching in the blue-collar town. Okay, something, something's going on here. And this is how he starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit. All right, so I'm digging. I'm digging for some help here. Because this is crazy talk. But what if Jesus was serious? What if he meant what he said? What if he he knew something that we don't know? That's that's what I'd like to do with this series, is just give Jesus the benefit of the doubt and ask the question, what if Jesus was serious? Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I think probably the first thing that we have to deal with is, is this, this word blessed, or uh, you heard me slipping back and forth, uh, blessed, like if you came from a King James church, like you, blessed are, yeah, anyway, sorry, uh, blessed, uh, it, it's, there are other translations that will just use the term happy, and that's even like as they translated Ben Sirah, uh, that's, that's the word that they used, happy is the man, happy is the man, happy is the man, but this isn't like, this isn't just, uh, uh, this is just somebody who's like having a good day. Because, like, happy is, happy is the man who found 20 bucks in his jeans. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can have a good day. But that's not what, what 
blessed means. That's not what blessed said means. Like it refers to an enviable, enduring state of God's favor. So an enviable, like other people see what's going on in your life and they're like, that's the kind of, that's the kind of life I want. I, I, I want that quality of life. Um, it's an enviable, enduring state. It's not just like a good day. Uh, it's, it's not just like, um, you know, a good quarter, and so the business is good, and so now I, I can, like, do some other things over here because I got some margin in my overhead. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's an enduring state. It's not a season. It's not a day. It's an enduring state, an enviable, enduring state of God's favor. So other people are looking at your life and going, like, yeah, that's, that's the kind of life that I want because it seems like God is with that person. It seems like God is on that person's side, Okay? And the way he begins to describe what it looks like to have an enduring and enviable state of life is he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does he mean, poor in spirit? Because the first time I read this, I was like, man, like, bless, poor, poor does not feel like a very big blessing. Like, I work, like, I, sometimes I think, actually, let's, let's think about this for a minute. Like, who, who are the poor? <laughs> yeah, some, some of us be like, well, it's me. Uh, some of us be like, well, it's, it's whoever's, got, whoever's got less money than me. Like, who are the rich? Like, we can all probably identify the rich. And the rich is anybody who's got more money than I do, okay? Like, across the board, like, humanity believes that, that we may or may not, like, even if you have, like, a, a, a stable income and living and, like, your insurance is all paid for, like, even if you have that, you would still say there's somebody who's richer than me. Even, we don't even have to get, like, the super rich. We're not talking Jeff Bezos, but just, rich is somebody who's, who's, uh, who's richer than me. And so, blessed are the poor. Are, so is this, okay, so it's got that word spirit on there, so there's this modifier. We can't, we're not just talking about, like, the poor. It's not just saying, like, it's blessed to not have any money. Um, although there might be something in there that I'm not sure that we should disregard entirely. But he's saying, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, so so is, is he talking about people who are financially humble? People who aren't necessarily poor, but they kind of act like they're poor. People who have money, but they also give a bunch of money away, like they're financially humble. They're not out, like they've got a bunch of money, but they're living in kind of a modest house and they're driving the car that they still have to like get repaired every now and then. They're not, they're not take, instead of taking the car in for an oil change, they just buy a new car. You know what I'm saying? Is he talking about, is he talking about the, the modest people? He's talking about like financially humble people? Um, perhaps, perhaps these people like understand eternal values and understand like, that I don't have to, I don't have to pour everything I have to like get all the attention for myself. Like I understand there are some things that last longer than me, so I'm going to invest in eternal things. Like maybe that's it, but but I, I suspect that that misses something there too, because because the the word that he uses for poor is actually really really precise. There's a couple different words. So the Bible was originally written in Greek, and there's a couple different words for poor. And typically the word that people would use for poor are, are like are like the working poor. People who like have a low-paying job, um, but they still have like some kind of an income. They have they have some kind of they know what to expect month over month. They're they're working. They're trying to figure stuff out. Like, that's the the word that people would normally use when they're talking about the poor. But what what the word that Jesus used is actually very specific, is like bankrupt. No money at all. There's no assets. Like, everything's been wiped out. These are the destitute, the people who are literally just begging for enough food to eat day over day over day. This is the, the destitute, the bankrupt. The bankrupt in spirit are blessed. 
what does that mean? <laughs> Luke, uh, Dr. Luke will record for us Jesus' words in, in chapter 5 and verse 31, and he'll say, I've come for the sick, because those who are well have no need for a doctor. Jesus says, my mission is for people who know that they are needy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is actually like the basis for starting a relationship with Jesus. If I acknowledge that I've got nothing apart from what God has already given me, and all I have is to give it back to him, like I'm bankrupt. I've got, I've got nothing to give to God except that which he's enabled me to give. Like I can't, I can't like, I can give him a song, but I didn't do anything to purify the air and bring it into my lungs. I didn't, I didn't even like form my own lungs. Like I didn't invent this apparatus that's happening here. Like I, I actually have no control over whether my heart keeps beating. It just keeps going. And I, I have not thought about it all day long. There's a lot of things that I don't think about that just keep going. And, and my heart is one of them. So, like, if I give, I give God my, my heartbeats. Like, he gave, me, he gave me the heart that I would give. Like, okay, well, I, I'll, I'll give him my soul, but, like, I didn't, I didn't choose to be created. I couldn't have been there to have chosen to be created. Like, he gave me my soul, too. Like, what, I'm bankrupt. What can I give to God? How can I, how can I earn his favor? Why, everything that I have came from him, and so I'm, I'm, I'm spiritually destitute, and that if we can keep our heads there, is the foundation for walking with Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, uh, the, the, the place where God rules and where God's, God's rules actually like work the way that they're supposed to work, that belongs to them. Well, what do you mean it belongs to them? Like it belongs to God. It's God's kingdom. Like it's the kingdom literally of heaven. And I'm not of heaven. I'm of earth. So like, what do you mean it's ours? Like it's possession. We actually, it's not that we own it. It's not that it's ours. It's not that we become the kings of, of heaven. It's that we then have citizenship in the kingdom and therefore have rights and privileges and also have the priorities of a place other than the place that we live. Have you thought, have you thought about priorities? In the kingdom, we're like, okay, like as Americans, there's some things that, that we value, that we have priorities, and, and one of them is like, you know, us, because <laughs> we're here, right? And there are places in other countries, and we know there's places in other countries, but there's sometimes where we're like, yeah, we don't necessarily want to go out of our way to help them because they're not us. Like there's, there's priorities inherent to our citizenship as, as Americans, right? And, and if we are spiritually bankrupt, and the kingdom of heaven then belongs to us, we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven, then our, our priorities begin to shift. And the things that we value begins to shift. And the things that we're willing to lay our lives down for begins to shift. And the way that we talk to our spouse begins to shift. And the way that we talk to our neighbor begins to shift. And the ways that we go out of our way to care for our neighbor who's far from God begins to shift. And the way that we begin to love our enemies begins to shift. And everything begins to shift. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the spiritually bankrupt. How do you know? How, how do you know if you're spiritually bankrupt? Like, 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 okay, Michael, I get it. Like, what you're saying makes, 
it kind of makes sense, I guess. It's, it makes more sense this time than it did the first time I read it. Like, I'm, 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 I'm beginning to track with you, okay? Uh, so how do I know? Um, well, what's, what would be kind of a contrast to being poor in spirit? Like, maybe, maybe middle class in spirit or, or upper class in spirit. Like, how do we think about being, being middle class? Like, what, is, what are some, some signifiers of, of being middle class? Um, or, or being upper class. Uh, we'll start with upper class because, you know, on those people, you know what I'm saying? Um, let me ask this question. Do we see ourselves as entitled to God's blessing? I think that would be kind of an upper class idea. Do we see ourselves as entitled to God's blessing? I'm here. I exist. You should be giving things to me. Yes, of course, everybody needs to pay taxes, but not I, because I have so much money. Do we see ourselves as entitled to God's blessing? We walk in the room and say, hey, Jesus, I need a new car. Make it happen. Thanks, bye. We treat God like a vending machine. I'm, I'm entitled to this. Like, I showed up. Didn't you see? My, my, my attendance record's pretty good. Like, I've been, I've been the last, like, like three out of four Sundays. Like my attendance record is pretty good. I've been to church, so now you owe me one. Like can't you just, can't you take care of this for me? You, you owe me one now, Jesus. Do we see ourselves as entitled to God's blessing? Okay, maybe, maybe that's too far. Um, maybe we're, we're more middle class in spirit. Do we act as though we can earn God's blessing? Do we act as though we can earn God's blessing? Now, now I, I said act because, because I could have asked you, do we believe that we could earn God's blessing? And if you've been in church at all, you're like, you know, oh, I know that one. I know the answer to that. No, we can't earn it. We can't earn it. Uh, salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Yeah, I know we can't earn it. I know you don't believe that, but do you act like it? Do we act like we can earn God's blessing? Like, all right, God, here's what I'm gonna do for you. If you do this for me, and I'll do this over here. You make sure that these numbers stay in the black, then I'll make sure you get 10%. Cool? All right. Do we see ourselves as entitled to God's blessing? Do we act as though we can earn God's blessing? The bottom line is that Jesus' vision of the good life is founded on our poverty. And if we as Americans can get outside of our cultural selves and humble ourselves to the place where we can come to grips, nose to nose with the ground from which we came, and acknowledge that Jesus' vision of the good life is founded on our poverty, then we might have a chance to follow them well. I spent a lot of time on that one, and I think it's foundational. I actually think... I think that as we go through these, they are connected to one another and they build on one another. So I do think that this one is like the most important because it's actually going to set up, like he's going to spend the next three chapters explaining what he meant by this. He's going to keep coming back to it. So I want to make sure that we're on the same page with this. I'll, I'll spend less time on the other ones because I know some of you guys are looking at the clock going, oh my gosh, we're going to be here all day long. And we could be, but I'm going to try not to. So let's continue on. Uh, verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. So are we talking about mourning? Are we talking about like bereavement when we lose somebody? Or are we talking about just, just grief in general at trauma? Like blessed are the people who are going through a bad time? Like that seems like mean. 
Why would, why, would you, why would you go? Would you go up to somebody who just lost a spouse and be like, hey, man, God's really blessing you right now. You are so blessed. Please don't. If, if, you, if you were kind of like, yeah, I think I could do that. Like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. That's not, like he, said, he literally tells us to weep with those who weep. So, so, so let's not, let's not like start calling people blessed when they're at like their spouse's funeral. That's not what he's talking about. What, is it, what, is he, what does he mean? Blessed are those who, who, who uh, mourn. Blessed are those who realize their own spiritual bankruptcy and are broken by it. Who begin to look at their lives and realize all the ways that we've tried to gain accounts with God and all the ways that we've tried to earn things or all the ways that we've treated and talked to God as though we were entitled to his stuff and we begin to be broken by the way we have treated our Savior. Blessed are those who are broken by their own spiritual bankruptcy because they will be comforted. God says, when you get to the place where you're at the end of yourself and you realize that you've got nothing left and you turn to me, I will be there. I'm right there. I'm here for that. Psalm 51 was written after a guy not only committed adultery with a woman, but then he had her husband murdered. And at the end, in the middle of that psalm, he says, God, against you and you only have I sinned. And I'm pretty sure that his, his new wife that he just stole from the bed that he murdered is like, hold on a second, because I got sinned against. Let me tell you something, David. Why don't you sit down? But he says, no, against you and you only have I sinned. And, and he says, I would offer you sacrifices. I would offer you whatever gifts you ask me. I would, I would be generous towards you. I would earn whatever you wanted, but that's not what you want. The sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite spirit. And those God will not despise. If we come to a place where we're at the end of ourselves and we realize that we're spiritually bankrupt, Jesus is right there. And he's not the only one. I, I wish it were that if I could convince you that you were spiritually bankrupt, that, that like the only option then would be for you to turn your, turn your life over to Jesus. But that's a really precarious situation. Because the enemy, the, the last thing the enemy wants you to do is to not only realize your need, but also to turn the one that can, can supply it. He wants to distract you. He wants to pull you away. He wants you to be concerned about things in this world so that you never, ever, ever, ever actually consider how to follow Jesus well. And you never surrender your life over to him. But I want you to know if you're at the end of yourself, you will be comforted. Because Jesus is there for you. <clears throat> Do you realize that there are some folks alive today that are, that are literally experiencing their happiest experience now? There are people who are living their happiest experience that they will ever live. We are eternal, like eternal beings in the sense that once created, we do not then disappear. Like we all have an eternal destiny. And there are people who are currently living their happiest experience on this side of the sun, on this side of heaven. That when they cross through the veil, like, it ain't happy on the other side. And I'm looking at the quality of life, and even if they have a good quality of life, I'm like, that's really not that great. If you want to live your best life now, go for it, but I'm pretty sure Jesus says he's saving something better for us in the future. So mourn now. Do we make space to acknowledge what's broken in the world? What's broken in us, but also what's broken in the world. Do we make space? Are we, we're, I know we're not comfortable with it. We've all been in rooms enough where as soon as somebody starts crying, we're like, oh, we got to figure out how to stop this. Somebody get the tissues. 
I know we're not comfortable with it, but we've got to make space to mourn, to grieve. And we, we don't have cultural markers. We used to have cultural markers that would like help us with this. Like somebody who was in grief would like dress all in black. Now people dress all in black uh, and, and long sleeves and, and, and it's like 100 degrees outside. And I do not understand it. But like that used to be a sign of mourning, okay? We don't have those markers anymore. People, like a widow would wear a veil as mourning. Like that, that, we don't have those markers anymore. I had to make some up when my dad died. And it was helpful for me to have space, to reserve space, to mourn and grieve. So do we, do we make space to acknowledge what is broken in the world? We're like, well, we don't need to, we don't need to acknowledge what's broken in the world because Jesus is fixing it all. He says he's going to redeem it all. Like, yes, I agree. The Bible essentially carries good news with it. Essentially, like, it's the message of Jesus and how he's redeeming and restoring all of creation. And yet within the Bible, it contains large sections of lament and weeping and mourning and grief over what is broken in the world and longing for Jesus to fix it. Do we make space to acknowledge what's broken in the world? Because Jesus' vision of the good life is founded on our poverty. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And this, this word is not one that we use a ton. When I say meek, we kind of flip that, we flip that M upside down, like weak? Are we talking about the weak? Are we talking about weak people? People that don't have, have a spine and won't stand up for themselves? Is that what we're talking about? Uh, meek? Um, no, I, I don't think that that's what we're talking about. Um, meekness doesn't refer to an inability to act. It refers to uh, strength and ability to do something with restraint, okay? So we went, oh, I wish I could remember the name. We went up to Georgia, and there was this island, and on this island, there were just a bunch of wild horses running around. It's crazy. So like I'm, we're walking down a path, and all of a sudden, there's, there's two horses, and they're just walking up to us, and I'm like, that's a horse. He's as tall as me. Like, I, I can handle a lot of things. But he don't like, like, they don't, they're, they, they're used to being around people, but the, when you get on this island, like, hey, don't feed the horses, don't touch the horses, don't go near the horses, and I'm, we're, like, walking down, the horses coming to us. I'm like, that's not what, they didn't tell us that this was going to happen. Like, I didn't think, I didn't think that this was okay. Um, and so this horse comes up to us, and I'm like, man, because you're looking at those feet, and those feet are just like rocks. You're going to start slinging. And I'm like, I don't know, what do I do? I got all these kids with me. It's like herding cats. I don't know how to keep them back. Like, they're like, a horsey, yeah, I'm going to go pet him. Like, no, 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 the horse can kill you. You will die. Please stop. And so we've got these horses, these powerful creatures. And if you don't think they're powerful, I just encourage you to go to this island and stand next to one that you know is not tame, okay? Because you will think twice about the strength of a horse. A horse, when it's domesticated, does not lose its strength. But its strength is then restrained and put to use for its master. A meek person is not a weak person. It's not that the person does not have the ability to act and to change things in the world. It's that they have chosen restraint. And I will serve my master. I will, I will take what I have and the strengths that I have and the gifts that I have and I will put them towards his purpose. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Meek people do not demand that the world meet their every right. Meek, meek people aren't out there like stomping around like, you better give me what I deserve. I'm going to take it. I'm going to get everything that I'm entitled to. I'm going I'm to take it all because I got the power to do so. And yeah, there are, there are people that are strong to be able to do that. But there's times where we come up to a situation, we go, I have the right to do this, but 
would it honor my master if I did? I've got the power. I can make, I can, I can make my way happen here. But is that what's best? Power with restraint. My kids want to know that I'm strong. Like, th- there's something about, like, oh, daddy, so he can, like, pick me up. And, yeah, it's so fun. Like, they want to know that I'm strong, but they also don't want me to throw him through a wall, which is what I want to do most of the day. That's, that's a glimpse of meekness. Okay? Please. Please look at Jesus. Almighty creator of heaven on earth, the literal word of God, by the word of his mouth, started physics and geometry. Like just made it up as he went. And it all makes sense. And it's all in order. He, he casts stars out. Like I'm not thinking about my heart beating, but there are stars that are burning out in spances away that I can't even fathom how far away they are. They might be burning out right this very second. And I don't even know about it, but he's there. He's watching. It. He knows almighty, all powerful. And yet, born in a manger, to a blue-collar worker, construction worker, infant, cannot feed himself, submitted himself in humbleness and humility to be born in our dirt and our filth, and then he put up with parents that he did know better than. Can you imagine Jesus as a teenager and literally knowing better than Mary and Joseph? And he has to put up with Joseph's stupid rules because Joseph's on some kind of power trip? And you know he did. He submitted himself to parents. And then he gets up, and he grows up, and he starts to teach. And as he's teaching, he's realizing, okay, this is not going to go well. And he, he submits himself to an unjust trial. He knew what the truth was. He knew he hadn't done anything to violate the law. He was there when it was written. And he let them accuse him, and he kept his mouth shut. And he let them accuse him and sentence him to death. And he went willingly to death, not just death, but death on a cross. That's why Philippians 2, chapter 5 says, Have this mind in you, which is yours. It belongs to you. If you're going to follow Jesus, this mind is in you. It was in Christ Jesus that who, being in the form of God, did not consider it something he had to hold on to so tight that he had to insist on. Being in the form of God did not consider it something he had to grasp hold of but instead laid down his life and humbled himself, becoming a servant, submitting himself to death, even death on a cross, even the most humiliating death he possibly could. Like that is our savior. That is our model. Blessed are the meek. Why? We're going to get the earth. I don't have to fight for it. Burn my house down. I don't have to react in self-defense. Kill my family. I'm assured that my Savior is good. He's going to take care of them. That's probably more pacifist than maybe one of you guys are comfortable with. I know that there's room for grace in that. We can talk about that later, but I'm just saying that's, that's our Savior. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. It, it's all his. And he'll take care of it, and I can trust him. Jesus' vision of the good life is founded, established on our poverty. So are we, are we, like as we go through our week, are we exacting every possible privilege that we can. Do we go through the week and trying to figure out how can I get more? How can I get more? How can I get more? How can I? Are we exacting everything that we can? Or will we take that which is given to us, the mind of Christ, and say, I know whose I am, and I will trust him to provide for me what I need for today. If we're running around exacting every possible privilege that we possibly can, if we're, if we're making it happen, what room does God have to fill your hands with his blessing? If we've run around and, and filled our hands with every possible thing that we can get our hands on, 
Like God's like, looks like you're good. I can't fill those hands. You've got them full. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Would you pray with me? God, you know my heart. You know how I've wrestled with these words and God, sometimes explaining some things will take the power and the magic out of it. And so Lord, I pray that if there's something in here that's, that is distracting from your instruction, is distracting from your teaching, that God, that, that, all that would be forgotten real, real quick. But that God, the challenges and the, that which you're describing in these verses would hold fast and stand true. Lord, I know that our ears are open this morning and that we are hearing from you. And so I, I just pray that you would do your work of, of, of silencing our accuser that would distract us from what you're doing here. God, would you break us? Would you give us a true understanding of our bankruptcy before you? Of our, our, our desire to just constantly fill our void with stuff. We submit our lives to you for your purpose and ask that you use them as you will. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So um, this, this sermon isn't meant to be the end of the conversation. Um, we're opening up a can of worms. I know that. And so... Uh, this is a starting point for, for conversations. Um, so these are some questions that we talked about today, um, but you may want to circle up with some people around a kitchen table and just get real like, and talk about what God's doing in your heart. Um, we've got a group that's meeting on Tuesday nights. If you want to join in with us, if you want to start something else, um, then let us know, and we'll, we'll figure out how to equip you and be able to do that. But... Um, Let's just take some time personally and reflect on these um, with the purpose that we will then continue the conversation and discussion. So let's take a few minutes and pray before we close and sing.